Orchestra band, great job. We had a Oviedo gathering yesterday. I don't know how many of you were able to attend that, and that is something that we've done. This is the second annual one that we've done, and uh, Rick Lee at the bank has kind of put this on, kind of got everybody together, a lot of people from um, different uh, racial backgrounds, different churches, and boy, we just had a, a great time yesterday, and Tim uh, led the music for it, and I, I'm telling you, if anybody else, nobody else had a good time, he did, you know, he did. And it was a great time. We, we really heard some great preaching as well. Um, it's great to be back. Pam and I are just so grateful to be back here uh, at home as after we visited with, uh, at England, in England uh, for uh, about 10 days. Had a great time with uh, Jared and, and Chelsea and the grandkids. And while we were there, I had a chance to uh, share Christ uh, with a, a young man. And so I, I'm just reminded as I came in and looked at the witness tree this morning how wonderful it's filling out. Many of you have been sharing Christ, and of course, with the mission trips coming back, that's even going to be more so. And so let me just challenge you to do something. This is what, you know, we need some inspiration. And so we've made commitments in January for different things. One is, for example, to have a quiet time. At least five out of seven days, some of you have um, committed to reading through the New Testament, and if you have, you ought to be somewhere in the book of John by now, and just to sort of let you know where that's taking place, if you're going verse by verse all the way from Matthew to Revelation. And then we uh, had commitments to, to serve and to tithe and, of course, to witness. And that's really been kind of our little bit of an emphasis more so than the others uh, so far this year. And so what I want to ask you to do, if you have a testimony, you have something you'd like to share, whether in person, video, someone that have you, you have led to the Lord, and maybe it's not even been the last couple of months. You know, because sometimes the biggest inspiration of all is when you lead someone to Jesus Christ, and a year or two later, they're really growing in the Lord. They have had a changed heart, changed life, and here's the evidence. And so we would love to have that video and so, uh, or that testimony, and so we can inspire others to do the same. Or if you have something where, hey, you started having a quiet time and it's changed your life, uh, tithing or serving, maybe you're serving here for the first time, and you're, you just want to share what that really means. We, we would love to have all those all during the year, but especially here uh, immediately. And so uh, with that, let's look at Isaiah chapter 40 this morning, the God who can. <clears throat> The God who can. You've heard maybe the story. In fact, it was made out of a movie, um, and I can't even remember the name of the movie, but the story goes like this. There were four guys from Paris, and they decided to go to the outback, and they were driving their Jeep along in the outback, and they, they had a kangaroo jump out in front of them, and they hit it. And so they got out. Obviously to them, the kangaroo had, um, was dead. And so they decided, now some of you uh, maybe think this is kind of cruel, but they decided they wanted to have a picture made with the kangaroo. And so they put, this one guy got off his Gucci jacket and put it on the kangaroo. And they stood him up and they tried to get a picture with the kangaroo, with the Gucci jacket on. Well, the kangaroo was not dead. And suddenly, just startled, and shook up by the, the, the being hit by the Jeep, suddenly woke up, and of course they jumped away very scared, and the kangaroo was scared, and he ran off with this guy's goosey jacket. <laughs> now you say, well, that's kind of funny, but 
That's not the end of the story. The man's car keys were in the jacket. Now, you're in the middle of the outback. You're going to feel very, very helpless. You're going to feel powerless. And maybe that's where you've been in your life sometimes. You feel like, well, you know, Jesus Christ lives in my heart. I ought to have the power to live the Christian life and the power to do things in the Christian life that I don't, just don't seem to have. And so what about that power? Well, next week, we're going to start a four-part uh, series of messages called Maximum Impact, Seizing the Four Sources of God's Power. This week, I want to look at an introductory message. I want to establish the fact that God is all-powerful, that God really can. Now, we ask ourselves the question, when we go to God in prayer, we start living the Christian life, whatever that may be in your heart, you ask yourself two questions. One, does God love me enough to help me? And the answer to that, of course, is the cross. But then you ask yourself the question, is God then powerful enough to help me? Can God do it? One man during World War II, talking about the Nazis, made the statement to Winston Churchill, either God has the power but doesn't care, or he cares and does not have the power to help us. Churchill, in his wisdom, replied, it is neither. He cares and he has the power, but he is inscrutable, meaning not readily known mysterious, difficult to understand. And so we address the question this morning, can God, and then in the weeks to follow, we're going to be looking at how God applies that power, not only to us, but through us as well, and gives us the power to live the Christian life and do great things. I want us to, first of all, as we look at Isaiah chapter 40, this is a very unusual book, and I, I think I introduced this book uh, to you just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks back, but the first 39 chapters are like the Old Testament. It talks about sin and the judgment, and it talks about what's going to be going on uh, during the exile of Israel. Now, to give you a little background, David was a great king of Israel. His son Solomon expanded the kingdom, but then his son Rehoboam split the kingdom. It became the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, not led by Rehoboam, had ten tribes. And they were conquered because of their sin and going away from God on a constant basis. They were conquered by the Assyrian people in 722 B.C. Well, instead of learning from that, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, made up of two, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they were in the southern kingdom. They had Jerusalem. They had the place to worship. But they still did not learn from the northern kingdom. And now Babylon was about to come in and take over them. Now, during the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying about that. At the end of that, he's saying, look, take comfort. In fact, look in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, Lord your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all of her sins. This, ver these verses are saying it is going to come to an end. All the, the, uh, the discipline that's coming toward it to Israel and to the nation of Judah, he says, is going to end, and I'm going to bring my people back. Now, Isaiah, I want you to, in the next 40 through 60, uh, chapters 40 through 66, resembling the New Testament, saying that God is forgiving, that God is going to be there for you, that God's power will deliver you. And so as we open up to chapter 40, 
he begins then to make that transition talking about the greatness and the power of God. Basically, we want to come out of this service to say this, that God not only loves me enough to help me, but he has the power to help me. God is the God who can. We want to look at this in three points. We want to take verses 27 through 31. As we look at these, we're going to be then looking back in the rest of the chapter to see how Isaiah has already talked about these. And we're going to be talking about the observation of his power, the explanation of it, and finally, the application of it. First of all, look in verse 27. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? The people are saying, God, God's hidden himself, not only from us, but we're hiding from God. God is not even looking at God doesn't see us. That's what he's saying. That's what the nation of Israel may be claiming right now, is God is just reading their mind. What you're saying is, God, or, or people, you're saying that I don't even see you or see the problems that you're going through. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? And these are rhetorical questions. Of course they know. Of course they've heard. But these are reminders. The Lord is everlasting. That is, he has no beginning. He has no ending. God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he, he, is, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, he's already looked at this in the previous several verses. Verses 12 through 14 tells us the power of God is seen in his creation. Let's look at Adam. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in the balance? Who has done these things? Who's created the world is what he's saying. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth and all the host he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord of all the inhabitants of the world. Stand in awe of him. I love what happens in the book of Job. This reminds me, in fact, of that. Job was a man who went through much suffering. His friends did not exactly comfort him, but more making accusations about his life. And he was innocent before the Lord, and he complained to God. And finally, in, verse, in chapter 38, God shows up. And here's what God has to say. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you, under, you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know, oh, or who stretched the line upon it? He's basically saying, Job, where were you? Did I take counsel with you? Did I ask you how to uh, create the world? Did I ask you how to make it, how to sustain it? No, you weren't there. God says, I have created the world, and we can see the power of God in that creation. Let's look at verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or who, what man shows him in his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him in the, the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody. He's asking these questions knowing what the answer already is, and that is no one has ever shown God anything at all. God is complete within himself, and God created the world out of nothing. He created something out of nothing, 
and he can do that, all of a sudden we look at the fact that he is so powerful, he is beyond question, and he is unsearchable. But then, notice the power is also seen in his sovereignty. That is the fact that he rules over everything. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are counted, accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, this is the place where they got the cedar wood and, and all that. They had lumber, they had trees everywhere. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are, uh, are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. He's saying this. He says, look, you worry about the nations. You worry about the people who are going to come in and conquer you. He says, I've got control over all that. If you were to walk with me, he says, that would, the captivity would have never happened. We worry about terrorism, and we, and we should be concerned. We should do everything we can about that. We worry maybe about communism, other things threatening our nation. But he says, look, everything is held right there in the palm of God's hand. Then we see his power. <clears throat> it's seen in the fact that he's supreme. Look with me again in verse 18. To whom then will we liken God? What likeness compare him with? He says, look, this is a question of comparison. How do you compare God? Now, he's all-powerful. How do you compare someone who has all the power of the world? He says, well, can you do it with an idol? He says in verse 19, an idol, a craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it for silver chains. He is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And he says, can you compare an idol to God? Now, one thing about an idol, notice what he's saying. He's saying, look, an idol is something that needs help. It's cast by man. It's selected, the wood is selected by man. It's overlaid with gold or silver or bronze by man. An idol needs help. It has no life of its own. What about the idols of our life? Very few of you probably have statues in your home or idols in your home or something from the, uh, the Middle Ages in your home that you worship. But we know that our heart, and a on a different level altogether, is an idol factory. What are some of the idols in our life? Somebody says, well, you know, I guess it's money. Finances may be the idol in your life. You put that before anything else. You think about it in your spare time more than anything else. What about money? Your finances, the economy of this world, and let's take specifically the United States of America, needs help. You say, oh, you got that right. No, no, it, it just needs man's help. Somebody says, well, what we need is tax cuts. No, what we need to do is raise taxes. That's help. Somebody, said, somebody else says, what we really need to do is have a good feeling in our economy where everybody goes out and spends money. What we really need are, are the politicians to make the right decisions. What we really need to do is the, is the bank to keep the interest rates down artificially. What we need to do is print more money. No, what we need to do is print less money. What I'm, what I'm simply saying is, whatever your feelings are, your God cannot stand on its own. It needs help. And what about your family? You say, well, my, I guess my kids. Your kids need help. I, I know you 
you're threatened to amen me on that one, but you're, all of our children need help. As I said just a few weeks ago, when we're talking about raising our children, sometimes the parents of, their, uh, of our children's friends have more influence on their life than we do. Why? Because they raise their kid, and their kid is influencing your kid. Your kid needs help. My, my children need help. They need help from somebody, uh, maybe at school, a coach, that maybe they need someone, hey, in church. Did you know that your investment in the life of a young person here in this church could make all the difference in the world in their life? Parents need help. Your idol needs help. The point is, every idol that we would ever put on the, the throne of our life needs help from someone else. They, they are not all-powerful. They are not all-knowing. They are not everywhere all at the same time. Only God is. You cannot compare any idol to God. Fair enough. Psalm 62:11 says this, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that all power belongs to God. So what are we talking about in all power? Somebody says, hey, can God make a rock? You know where I'm going, right? Can God make a rock too big that he can't pick it up? Hmm. Thoughts for the ages. I don't know how many times in my, my life I've been asked that question. People say, well, you know, you're talking about all God. You know, they, they want to make an excuse for not believing in God, for not following Christ. They're looking for anything. Can God make a round square? They begin with a wrong definition of all-powerfulness, particularly the all-powerfulness of God. Let's look at it. Let's pick it up. Verse, nine, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. He's giving whatever power that this is to you. The definition of all powerfulness is this. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, within his perfections. God can do anything he wants at any time he wants according to his perfections. In other words, God can't sin. The Bible tells us that. God can't lie. And so for God to make a rock <clears throat> too big for him to pick up is not even a question. It's not a legitimate question because that would violate his perfections. His perfections would be violated if he tried to make a round square. According to his perfections and according to his other attributes as well. And that comes into play hugely in our life, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But God has the power to create. God has the power to sustain life. He has the power to give life. Psalm 139 talks about that. He has the, over, he has the power to overcome Satan. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, even the devil. And so he has the power to do that as well. And so when we look at God's power, we see God building up to something here in the entire Old Testament, and that is the salvation of man. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God has the power to forgive your past. He has the, pro, he has the power to overcome your problems. 
He has the, pro he has the power, not only that, but to answer your prayers because you are a believer. God has the power to accomplish His plan and plans for your life. He has the power to do all this. And without this, there's a lot of, there's problems. John MacArthur said this, how worthless His eternal counsels would be if His power could not execute them. His mercy would be a feeble pity if He were, not, if he were destitute of power to relieve. His justice, a slighted scarecrow without power to punish. And his promises as empty sound without the strength to accomplish them. Well, have you ever felt helpless? Have you ever watched your keys go off on a kangaroo in a Gucci jacket out in the middle of the outback? And you say, well, as a matter of fact, I have. Symbolically, right? We've all felt helpless. I remember uh, back when I was 12 years old, it, it was like a crisis experience in my life, and I've shared this uh, at dinner with the pastor about how I understood the gospel really for the first time at 12 years old, or began to understand it. Up to the time, I didn't share this though, up to the time I was 12 years old, I always felt like I could do anything. That's true. I, I felt that way. Uh, have, how many of you have ever heard in golf of a member's bounce? Anybody here? You know, and that means you joke around with someone when they, they hit a golf ball and they just happen to hit exactly at the right spot on the right hill and it rolls up on the green or it hits a tree and gets right back into the fairway. You might call them lucky, lucky bounces, lucky bounces, members bounces. Up to the time I was 12 years old, I always got a members bounce. Okay? That, that was just me. I, I just always felt like I had that members bounce. I found out about the gospel when I was 12 years old, and I was determined in my heart that that would be for me one day, but not now. I mean, it's one thing to act good. It's, it's another thing to try to please my, my parents or my pastor, my Sunday school teacher. It's another thing to surrender my life over to someone else. That wasn't going to happen, not, not until I became at least an adult, at least from that moment on, I quit getting the members' bounces. And you say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. No, it's really not. I really feel that way. From the time I was 12 to the time I was 16, no members' bounces, not really. I mean, I was doing the same things, trying to accomplish the same things, felt like I was just as successful as I was before, but I wasn't getting the bounces. And God was trying to tell me that you are not going to be able to do this on your own. You are not going to be lucky. You are not going to have just simply power of your own. And it was not until I got and come to the place in my life of receiving Christ in my life and turning my life around to that direction that I found the real power of God in my life. But I was helpless, helpless before I could go on and receive that kind of power. Do you feel helpless today? You're in a great spot. Because as you feel helpless, you will know that you need to turn to that that to God for the power and strength in your life. So let's look at finally the application of it. He says in verse 27, do you not know? He says in verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? He gives in, in verse 29, he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. God is everlasting. He's eternal. He knows everything. Have you not known? Have, have, do you not understand that God has not only all the power, because he has, he has all power, he has to have all knowledge. He has to know the past, the present, and the future. Otherwise, how could he apply his power? So let me ask you this, how much do you know? You know, we have people in this room t today that are experts. Did you know that? There's a lot of experts in this room. As we as people count experts, there are people here that are engineers, and you are an expert in your field as far as the rest of us are concerned. We wouldn't even know sometimes what questions to ask you, much less the answers. There's doctors in here. They're dentists. They're experts in their field. I have a son who's an expert at the early church fathers, got a Ph.D. in that. He's an expert at that, but no one, not the dentist, not the engineer, not the insurance salesman, not the real estate broker, no one here, not, not even a pastor, is an expert on much. How much knowledge do we really have? Would you say of all the knowledge of the current world right now, 1%? You say, well, no, no I don't think I have 1% of the knowledge. Half percent? One-tenth of one percent? We'll just say you have one-tenth of one percent of all the knowledge of the world located right there in your brain of everything that has gone on in the past. But how much do you know about the present? Meaning it's 10.03 officially, 10.03 on Sunday morning, in this Sunday morning in March. Right now, right now, how much knowledge do you have? You know enough to know you're not listening to anything I have to say. And that's about all that you have, <laughs> knowledge that you have. And you, you think, well, yeah, I need to quit thinking about lunch. And that's it. Now, how much knowledge do you have of the future? Absolutely none. And God is saying in this passage, do you not know? I have all the knowledge of the past, all the knowledge of the future, all the knowledge of the present. There's nothing that I cannot do. Now, the reason that's so important is because we think we're right on so many things. We think that we have the capacity to make decisions in our life. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we are, we mess up. I remember uh, sitting across the, the room. Let me give you a little background. When I was a pastor in my last church, there's these shoes that came out, and uh, a lot of them are actually, this, this is a rubber bottom. I do this so I won't slide on the carpet, and because they're comfortable, and because I just want to. Okay, I want, it. I want that. I just want it. When they first came out, um, Floorsheim or something like that brought them out, I went out and bought a pair, and then I went back and bought another pair. One was black and one was cordovan, and that's the only two pairs of shoes I wore, right? That was it. And I'd switch them back and forth. Well, I was sitting across in my study from a denominational worker, and he was sitting there, and he started smirking. And I thought, well, you know, I've heard about these denominational workers that, you know, kind of condescending or whatever. You know, he must be one of those guys. And so 
uh, I'm, I'm talking to him and everything. He's smirking the whole time, and he, he's trying to get us. I could tell he's trying to focus. And so uh, I finally said, well, let's, let's just close in a word of prayer. And he said, fine. I looked down, <clears throat> and I had one black and one cordovan shoe on. <laughs> now, the lights in that office were very good. The lights in my closet were not. And I was making decisions based on my own light. And when I got out in, the in a better light, I found out it was the wrong decision. We make decisions based on our own light, our own knowledge, instead of calling upon the knowledge and the power of God, His, His understanding. What does that give for us? It gives the power in the midst of outward circumstances. Right now, you're going through financial problems, job problems, family problems, health problems, and, and you're worn out. Look at this. Look at these verses. He gives power to the faint. These people are coming out of exile, or would be coming out of exile, and they're, they're worn out. I was watching an episode of Blue Bloods, and Tom Selleck's, and I, I know I, I gave an illustration about him. You'd think that's the only thing I ever watch, but it, it's, it's not, but... Sometimes it seems like all those reruns and everything. So, but he said, he told his deputy, he says, I'm tired. And I'm tired to a point that no amount of rest is going to help me. That's, that was their problem. They were just so worn out to a point no amount of food, no amount of sleep was going to help. Have you been there? He says, I'm going to help you in the outward circumstances of life, but he says, I'm going to help you in the inward circumstances of life as well. Notice he says, renew their strength, verse 31. He says he gives power to the faint. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. He says even young men who are making this journey and coming back from the exile are just going to be worn out. They need new strength. He says, I will renew their strength to give an exchange. He says, this word renew means I'm going to exchange their strength for my strength. I'm going to give you a power that you have. I'm not going to improve your power. I'm not going to give you more strength. I'm going to, I'm going to take your strength and give you my strength. A power from within us as well. So what do we do? What do we do when we're going through these kind of circumstances? What do we do when we're, we're needing the power of God in our life? He says, first of all, wait. For those who wait for the Lord, verse 31, shall renew their strength. Now, waiting has two implications in the Bible. One, you're very patient. You just simply wait and don't give up. But waiting also means to serve. It means action. When somebody comes up to you, a clerk comes up to you in the store, they'll ask you the question, have you been waited on yet? The waiter now called a server, used to be called a waiter that waits on your table to serve you. And so it means some action, patience and serving. He says, when you do that, I'm going to renew your strength now in the coming weeks. We're going to be looking more at how to tap in on the power of God through the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, and the power of a life well lived or, or a surrendered life. Those four things over the next four weeks, 
We're going to be looking at that so God can put power in your life, not only to get through the trials in life, but to also have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. The power to, to get prayers answered in your life. And the power to do something for God that only the Hud, that only the Hud, that only the Hud, that only the Hud.